We're not in the book of Romans. And, and yet, that's where we're going to end up today. I just couldn't help it. I have this gravitational pull towards Romans. So we'll, we will end up there later. But um, we won't start there. Some of you may remember the old-time actor named uh, Charlie Chaplin. And Charlie Chaplin was a very unique individual, uh, one of the early stars of the screen. And uh, one day Charlie Chaplin, as he was uh, touring Europe, he was at Monte Carlo, and he heard that they were going to have a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. So he thought he'd enter. <laughs> he not only didn't win, he came in third. <laughs> they looked more like him than he looked like him. And he's kind of funny looking, so imagine there's more of them. But uh, I wondered if we had a, a Christ look-alike contest how would, how would we do? If we were to be put up as, this is what Christ is like, how would you do? Well, we want to explore that in this uh, series we'll be beginning today, what it means to be in the image of Christ. The... The ultimate goal that God has for us is to, to look just like His Son. And He is going to accomplish that. As I have perused a number of books on discipleship, what Christian discipleship is, I have been highly disappointed that the, the standard and pervasive uh, view of how discipleship works is like this. You get a workbook and you study through topics like prayer, devotions, Bible reading, Bible memorization, sharing your faith, church attendance, service, those kinds of things. Each one of those would be a chapter. And, and then you're supposed to do a certain amount of each of those. In fact, one of the... Uh, the most popular books ever written on, on discipleship actually has a checklist in the back uh, that someone who's working with you on this can help you go through that checklist. Yes, prayed 10 minutes. Uh, prayed in public is one of them. So I got that checked off my list. Uh, pray it at home every day. Check that off. And there's like 10 things under prayer. And you check all those things, got that done. And every section is the same. You check the 10 things that you did on that. You get through at the end of the book and you are discipled. And of course the idea is you're supposed to then take someone else through the same process. And I, I think we have bought into a treasure map that leads to dross. The goal of discipleship is to be like Christ. That is indisputably the goal that we see in the New Testament. It is to be like Christ. 
And one of the things I want to present to you in the next couple of months is the, the, the way we get there, the, the methodology of it is growing in the knowledge of Christ. Growing in our intimate knowledge of Him is the method that the New Testament puts forward as the, the way to get there. It is, discipleship is a process, an ongoing process. And, and even though this might be different from the standard approach to discipleship, it has been God's plan from the beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 1. God's plan from the very beginning is that he, we would image Him, that we would be in His likeness. The very first chapter of Genesis, <clears throat> we see the, the reason for this in the, the account of creation in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. <clears throat> Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, the, you notice the plural pronouns there, us and our, uh, may point forward to what we would fully understand later, that God is more than one person in the Godhead. There's a trinity. But that's not the thing I want to get at today. It is that God said, I'm going to make, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. That was, that's the first statement about man. The very first thing God says about man is that he is to be in the image of God. You might say, these are the original specs for God's design for us. That, that we would look like Him in His image and His likeness. This is, this is God's crowning work of creation. This is the sixth day, the last day of creation because, of course, God rested on the seventh. But His crowning work of creation. In verse 25, He says, uh, God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now notice that when God made uh, animals, he made them according to their kind, to reproduce according to their kind. When he made man, it was according to God. God was the pattern. God, the God kind. We are created in His image and according to His likeness. And notice also that the end of verse 25, and God saw that it was good. This is God's statement at the end of each day of creation that He saw what He had done and that it was good. But when we come to the end of the account of man being created, verse 31 then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. The creation of man was not only good, but, but very good. This is his crowning work, that man was to be the very image of God. 
Now, being um, in the image of God means that unlike a tree or a billy goat or a cow, but very much like God, we are spiritual beings, first of all. Being in His image means we are spiritual beings. Being in His image does not have to do with what you look like on the outside. Because as we look around, even in, in the diversity that we have here of, of uh, sizes and kinds and shapes and all the variety here, which uh, looks wonderful, by the way, but there's, there's a diversity in us, and, and male and female and so forth. But, so it's not the outward appearance by which we image God, because God is spirit. He's not a physical being. You can't confine God to a body. He doesn't have a body. He is spirit. So it's not that we look like he does physically, but that we are like God, spiritual beings, who secondly have a moral consciousness. We have a moral consciousness. And we are capable because of those things, of knowing, loving, and worshiping our Creator God. We are spiritual beings. And that's a good thing because the body without the Spirit is in trouble. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, the body without the Spirit is dead. We're spiritual beings. God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living nephesh soul. Um, in John chapter 4, verse 24, where Jesus says God is spirit, he goes on to say that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is how we relate to God. And notice how all three of these components being spiritual beings having a moral consciousness so that we can know love and worship God that's all part of our being in the image of God God is spirit and so we're made spiritual beings as well as physical beings we have a body that carries around our spirit but who you are when you leave this planet is your spirit that's who you will be forever And we worship Him in spirit and truth. We worship Him in spirit because we are spiritual beings. We worship Him in truth because we have a moral consciousness and we can tell truth from error. And we worship Him because we're spiritual beings with a moral consciousness and capable of knowing, loving, and worshiping Him. So really in John 4, 24, Jesus is pointing all the way back to how we were created to relate to God. We come pre-programmed to worship. And our uh, default setting was to worship God. But of course sin got in the way and we are more inclined to worship self than God. Now being made in the image and the likeness of God does not in any way mean that we were intended to be gods, even with a small g. 
we will never have the attributes of divinity. For instance, uh, we will never be omniscient. We will know more than we know now. We'll probably know a great deal more than what we know now. But we will never be omniscient like God is. So there are certain parts of God's attributes which are non-communicable. That is, he does not share them with his creatures. But there are other characteristics of God that he does share. So it doesn't mean that we are meant to be like gods. We don't have the attributes of divinity. When we talk about being made in the image and likeness of God, the image, the issue <clears throat> is not our power or our greatness, but our character, who we really are inside. God doesn't share his greatness with us, but he does impart his character to us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, to, to the degree that our character <clears throat> models or reflects the character of God, to that same degree we reflect God's image. <clears throat> and this was from the beginning God's plan. So, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The original specs, and God has not given up on that plan. He is going to fulfill it. But let's go to Exodus chapter 20 now. The very next book, the book of Exodus. <clears throat> chapter 20, we find the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and God spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage and the God who delivers us is the God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. He alone is God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is connected to that as well. The same kind of idea now based on that. You shall, make for your, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them nor serve them you, you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything <clears throat> you see the echo of this image and likeness wording here why are, are we not to make any image or likeness well any image that we could make of God, no matter how beautiful an image it was, no matter how pure we purified the gold to make it out of, like the golden calf incident, it, it would never equal to the greatness of God. Anything that we could put forward 
as great as it could be if we brought together all the greatest minds of artisans and scientists to create one thing that the whole world could agree upon. This is the greatest thing we have ever seen. It would be blasphemy to God because it would not be equal to his character. It would be blasphemy. It would always come short of the glory of God. You, you cannot, for instance, make a picture of eternity. Is this, is this impossible? How could you begin to picture something that's infinite and infinitely holy? We don't even know what that is. But there's another reason. Why not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything? Because God has already made an image and a likeness of himself. When did he do that? Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So God has already done it. Now, <clears throat> just a caution here, because someone could take this the wrong way and think that, oh, well, then we're the idol. We ought to be worshipped because we're the image of God. That's, that's not where this is at all going. Uh, <clears throat> at, at the very least, we are a corrupt image of God. We do not show His glory. And God, and God alone, as He says in Exodus 20, verse 3, is to be worshipped. But God has already done it. He's made man in his image and according to his likeness. And that image was, to say the least, marred by sin. In fact, <clears throat> we are spiritually dead. Think about this. If we were in the image of God, we were spiritual beings with a moral consciousness who are designed to know, love, and worship God... <clears throat> Those three things were affected. We are spiritually dead. So, as far as being a spiritual being, we can't relate to God because, because of sin, we're spiritually dead. Our moral consciousness is defiled, and it accuses us, according to Romans chapter 2, that even those who are without the law are law unto themselves because they have a conscience. God has put a law in their hearts which accuses or excuses them. So everybody throughout the whole world, whether they have God's laws or not, they know that murdering somebody is wrong. Stealing something is wrong. And then, of course, it has defiled our worship. And man has tried to worship everything under the sun and including the sun, everything but God. So that the, the original image has been so devastated by sin as to not resemble it at all. <clears throat> when I was in, just going into ninth grade, into high school, um, there was a transfer student who, who came in. His name was Henry. Uh, and he was a he was a horror to look at. Uh, 
he would have been 14 at the time he came to our school five years earlier. So when he was nine, <clears throat> his folks were burning trash out in the backyard in a big 50-gallon drum. It was quite common in those days. And uh, he was taking something heavy out to put into it, and he couldn't quite reach the top of it, so he climbed up on something, and holding this heavy item, he fell headfirst into the barrel. He, his, um, he, uh, he was burned over his top part of his body just very severely. Uh, when I met him, he, he was completely bald. He would never have hair. His face was disfigured. Uh, because the lower part of his body was not burned as bad, they were able to do some skin grafts and, and restore a good part of his face, but he was still missing the end of his nose and his ears. And <clears throat> One hand had gotten trapped in the, the fire. He was able to get the other out. And the one he got trapped in, he, he had lost his fingers all the way down to nubs. Uh, fortunately, he still had use of his right hand. Surprisingly, he was grateful. Well, when I first saw Henry, I, I couldn't look at him, but I couldn't look away. You, you ever been in that kind of situation? I, I didn't want to stare, but I couldn't help. And I don't know why, other than God wanting to show some kindness to Henry, I got this thought, that I ought to go over to him and, and greet him and welcome him to our school. Uh, I, I wasn't a believer. I was the furthest thing from it, and I cared only for myself, so I'm not trying to put myself up as some good person. I, just looking back, it can only be that God used me, a self-centered pagan, to minister to this child. And I happened to, be, happened to be popular in those days, believe it or not. <laughs> and so I, I know the thought just came to me, if, if I go, if I break this ice that's in the room, if I go over and greet him, that's going to open the door for others to do it. And sure enough, God used it that way um, despite me. Well, I knew Henry for a couple years. We became friends, not steadfast friends, but friends. And after I'd known him for two years, uh, on the way home one day, we both missed the bus and had to walk home. And <clears throat> we came to his, by his home first. And he asked if I'd like to come in for a moment. He, he wanted to share something with me that he hadn't shared with anyone else. So, okay. And uh, his, his mom was surprised that he was bringing somebody into the home, but he took me into his room, and out of his bureau, he pulled out uh, from under some clothes or something, just a, a five-by-seven frame, and he showed me a picture of a nine-year-old boy. Had long, scruffy, blonde hair, freckles a beautiful face 
a big smile. And uh, Henry just said, this is what I was supposed to look like. I, I was 14, I didn't know what to say. I just sat there with him in silence for a while. But let me tell you that what happened to Henry on the outside is what has happened to you on the inside. You, you see, that's what sin has done to our spirits. And God pulls out this picture 2,000 years ago. In fact, he sends a live demonstration of what we were to look like in Christ. And he says, that's, that's what you're supposed to look like. But all of us have sinned and marred that image to the point that it is not recognizable anymore. He would, uh, Psalm 106. We have been designed to be in the image and the likeness of Christ. But we have come short of God's glory. We have indeed even exchanged God's glory. Psalm 106, verse 19 this refers to what happened after Moses gave the Ten Commandments as he was up in the mountain and he came down and, and they had made this calf of gold. They made a calf in Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, and worshipped the molded image. Thus, they changed their glory into the image of of an ox that eats grass. The context here is uh, in Psalm 106, the psalmist is recounting how God had delivered them time and again, and yet how they had forsaken God time and again. He brought them out of Egypt as he brought them through the Red Sea as he brought them through the desert and so forth. But they make a calf and worship this image. Now, just a, a little bit about the wording here. 
they, they change their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. <clears throat> their glory. There's one version, I think it's ESV, that says they, uh, they exchange God's glory. Well, the word God is not in the verse here in Hebrew, but I think I understand why they would say that, they would translate it that way, is because really we don't have any glory of our own. Any glory that we have or ever will have will only be as God gives it to us. It's like if you think about the moon. The moon shining in a bright night, a full moon in all of its glory. Well, is the moon really shining? No. It's, it's the sun reflecting on it. And it's just a reflected glory. And, and so for us, we don't have any of our own glory. But we were intended to is the point. We were intended to be in the image and the likeness of Christ. So I, I would still think that the, the best translation here is just to leave it as it was, as it is in Hebrew. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Now the word changed here is better, I think, translated exchanged. Um, the idea is that of giving or substituting something in the place of another. In, in this case, the item is not really changed, but it is exchanged. See the difference? It's not changed, it is exchanged. Something is put in its place. One item is bartered away for another. They bartered away their glory for an image of an ox is the idea here. When we sin, we barter away God's glory for the sake of our petty pride. When, when we sin, we barter, exchange God's glory for our own cheap pleasure. We exchange glory for garbage when we sin. That's the idea here. It's not only what they did, but we have sinned in this likeness. We, have, we do the same thing. Why does this happen? Look at verse 21. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot God, their Savior. That's why we sin too. We forget who is God. And notice how the passage actually is bracketed by this kind of statement. If you go back up to verse 13, they soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel. Verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior. The same thing happens to us. In fact, now we'll go to Romans. I told you I couldn't help myself. We're going to have to look at Romans a little bit today. Romans 1, starting at verse 18. Uh, it should be a familiar passage for us because actually in our study we've 
we've come back to this passage, I think, four times in the course of the last uh, year or so of our study. But Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That is, everyone knows in their heart that there is a God and that this, all this creation didn't just come out about by itself but that there is a God who reigns over all. We are all without excuse but verse 21 because although they knew God they did not glorify Him as God nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened Professing to be wise, they became fools. And look what happened. They exchanged glory for garbage. Verse 23. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible, corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Suffered the consequences of all that. Romans 3.23 Because we have exchanged glory for garbage. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3.23. This is really just a summary verse of everything I've said so far from Genesis 1 and Exodus 20 and Psalm 106. All summarized in this one verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What glory is that? The glory that we were intended to reflect to the world. The image of God that should have been upon us if we were like Christ indeed. That would be glory. John says in John 1, when, when we beheld Christ, we beheld Him in His glory, full of grace and truth. But we have come, close, we have, uh, come short of that. We have missed God's glory. But I want to end with a note of hope in Romans 8, verse 28. And what this series is really about, the attaining of the image of Christ. See, God has not given up on the original plan that man would be in his image and according to his likeness. Romans 8, 28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose 
Well, that brings up then what is his purpose? If it's according to his purpose, here is his purpose, verse 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, that's, that's the predestination for which God is leading your life to again look like Christ. To be conformed to the image and the likeness of God. To his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glory restored. The glory that we exchanged away in our sin will be restored. God will do it. It's not a kind of a self-reformation process that we try to get glory or something, but that God is making us new. When we're born again, we're made new critters, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so we are in the process as new creations of becoming more and more and more like Christ. So what I want to talk to you about in the weeks to come is how does that work? How do we go in that direction well for now just one more verse to close and that is verse 18 of Romans 8 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us now all of us to some degree go through suffering but it is not worthy to be compared to the glory if tomorrow when, when you get out of bed you, uh, you stub your toe on a piece of furniture and I don't mean the normal stubbing of the toe I mean a Gary Crandall kind of stubbing of the toe <clears throat> Where, where the metal base of that furniture is dented <laughs> afterwards. That kind of stubbing of the toe. So you, you, get, a, you get a boo-boo. <clears throat> and that starts your day. But later on in the day, <clears throat> someone feels led to give you a million dollars. At the end of the day, a friend from another state calls you and says well how did your day go are you going to talk about the boo-boo or the million bucks I mean what's going to be on your mind really that's what it that's what God is trying to tell us it's going to be like yeah you get some boo-boos along the way and, and sometimes it really hurts but It's not even in the league. Not worthy to be compared with what he has in store for you. That is all his grace. 
And we're going to partake of communion in just a moment. And like the, those who are going to prepare to come on up. <clears throat>